Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. And we have, are going to spend all of February talking about uh, different New Testament authors and how they understand and communicate about grace. Two weeks ago, Kathy shared with, with us about how James, uh, the, the, the brother of Jesus, uh, looked at grace last week. Graham, Dr. McKegg, was here talking to us about grace in Luke. And today, I'm talking about grace through the eyes of Paul. Um, and guess what? Paul actually has a lot to say about grace. So we've got about an hour and a half in store for us as we get through... Now, I, I, I've, I've pulled it back. We're just going to look at the first four or five chapters of Romans. That doesn't sound like shorter, does it? It is. I promise you that. It is shorter. So for Paul and all the, the other Jews uh, in the, the first century, the, the most important story, kind of the, the central narrative uh, for their whole lives and their religion, their, their understanding of the world. The, the story that they would teach to their kids, that they would teach to their grandkids, that they would sing in their hymns and in the Psalms was the, the story of Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. Right? Their deliverance out of Egypt. And in that, that story, right, the, the nation of Israel, if we, we're going to go way back, way back, in, into the Old Testament. We're, gonna, we're moving towards Paul, okay? So way, way back, the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And while they were there, they were forced to endure hard labor under the Egyptians. The Egyptians forced them to build their, their monuments, and they kept them under their thumb. The, the Egyptians were actually scared of the is Israelites because they were multiplying and growing. And they're like, man, if we don't do something about these people, they're going to rise up and, and take over. So they kept them under their thumb. They tried killing their, their babies, doing whatever they could to keep the Israelites down. But in that 400 years, the, the Israelites, would they cried out, to God, deliver us, come and, and deliver us from uh, uh, these slave masters. And the Lord raised up a, a deliverer, right? He raised up Moses, and he shows up in this burning bush, if we remember, in the, I think it's in Exodus 3, somewhere around there, right? The, the, God says to, to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry. I am aware of their sufferings, and I will deliver them out of Egypt, right? out of Egypt into a, a beautiful land that I have chosen for them. Right? This land that God had promised to Abraham and Abraham's descendants. Right? And as we remember the story, Moses goes in through the power of God, confronts Pharaoh, and delivers Israel out of Egypt. And so the, the story of, of the Exodus was a, a freedom story for God's chosen people. Right? It was a, a freedom story that they were holding on to, that they were waiting for, and that they were hoping would happen again as they sat here thousands of years later under the domination of Rome in the first century. And so Paul and the Jews are waiting for another freedom story to fulfill what God had promised to his people. And so Paul 
contrary to some people's opinion, did not switch from Judaism to Christianity when he met Jesus. Right? He just found in Jesus the fulfillment of everything that the law and the prophets had promised. Right? He saw that there was a new deliverer. Right? This one that the, the scriptures had foretold. One that was actually greater than Moses. A greater deliverer than Moses. One that was greater than King Solomon, right? the, the wisest and most wealthy of all the Israelite kings. And one that was ultimately greater than King David. Right? This new uh, Messiah, this new deliverer had shown up and it was Jesus Christ. Right? And so this freedom story that they would remember and think about from the Exodus was fulfilled in the freedom story that we see in Jesus Christ. Right? And what, what Moses, not Moses, what Paul understood was that everybody was longing for in, in need of freedom. Right? But it wasn't freedom from the Romans. Right? What they were looking for and what they ultimately needed was freedom from this sin and death and corruption that removed them from the presence of God. And so this new deliverer shows up in Jesus Christ. And it's not just for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile because it's the entire world that is under this slavery of sin and death. And the reason that I think that you guys want to pay attention this morning, not that you don't always want to pay attention, but you want to pay attention because we all need this same freedom story. Right? We all are under the dominion, the domination of sin and death. Without the, receiving the, the grace gift of Jesus Christ, we are stuck in our slavery. But as we'll, we're going to see in the, in the book of Romans through, through Paul, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of this freedom story for each one of us as well. And so Paul says... Hey, can you click on that first slide for me, my friend? Let's see if this makes it work. Hey, Reuben, will you fix that for me? Where'd Reuben go? <laughs> okay, so this, is what, this would be on the screen. Paul's message to the Roman believers. This is uh, where we're going to start, and this is where we are going to end. Hey, there he is. It's our friend Moses delivering his people out of, out of Egypt. Right? Recap, Jesus is the new deliverer. Okay. Back to this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, Paul says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. As God's people, each one of us are justified, which means we are made right with God through faith. And because of this, we have peace with God. Right? We're far off, but because of the grace of Jesus, we are made, uh, brought into this peace relationship with God. And it's because of Jesus' perfect life, his death, and his resurrection from the cross that we are delivered, that we are set free, that we are moved from slavery to sin and death into life and abundance. Okay? And so what we're going to look at today is that the gospel of grace, the gospel that Paul lays out 
in the, the book of Romans is a freedom story for me and for you and for the entire world. So we're going to look at the, just the first five chapters of Romans. <laughs> and we are going to look at three things. We're going to see who needs grace. Paul is pretty clear. He lays this out. Who is it that is in need of grace? How do we get a hold of? How do we apprehend grace? And what does grace do? Okay. And so who needs grace? Everybody needs grace. Everybody needs grace. Paul is very, very clear that Gentiles and Jews and lost people and saved people really, really need grace. And I'm guessing that all of us are in that list somewhere. Okay? And so Paul begins this letter to, to Rome. And this letter wa- was written to this church that he had never visited. Somebody else had planted it. Uh, but he is looking forward to, to come and to visit this, this, uh, this church in Rome. And it's made up, from what we can tell, of a group of Gentile believers and a group of Jewish believers who are worshiping the Lord together. And so Paul, before he comes, he sends this letter to kind of lay out his understanding of the gospel. And so he begins this letter in... Uh, chapter 1, verse 18 to 32, which seems to be very focused on the Gentiles. Okay, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but beginning in Romans 1, 18, Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal and divine power have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And so the the Jewish believers, right, and all all Jews would have looked down on these Gentiles, and that's anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. So the Romans, the Greeks, everybody else, right? And they would have seen them as this wicked and godless people. They would have looked down their noses at them. They're, uh, we, we won't even talk to them. We won't eat with them. We won't, we won't spend time with them. They are the enemy, right? And so I can imagine that as somebody has come to, to read this letter in, in, uh, in Rome, that the Jewish believers are kind of like shaking their heads, right? That's right. That's right, those Gentiles, they super need God, right? Because they are a mess. Because as chapter 1 unfolds, we see all this kind of darkness. Their, their hearts are futile and filled with darkness. They're worshiping idols. They're worshiping false images, right? They're all having these improper sexual relationships. They're wicked and they're evil and they're greedy and they're God-haters. They're unloving and they're disobedient. And on and on it goes. Paul is really hammering this home. What a dark picture of humanity and I can you can just see these Jews like going mm-hmm that's exactly how they are you tell them right yep that's good and it is very clear reality man those Gentiles are super messed up but Paul doesn't stop there he continues he continues in chapter 2 specifically in chapter uh, or verse 17 he says whoa 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 my Jewish friends 
I'm one of you. But this is what I have to say to you guys. If you call yourself a Jew, and you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Whoa. And this was a scathing assault on these Jewish believers. They saw themselves as the spiritual elite, right? They had it all together. They knew what was going on. They had the law. They had the circumcision. They were God's chosen people. And these were even God's super chosen people, right? Because they were enlightened. They knew the Messiah, right? Paul's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers, right? These, these Jews, and he's saying, whoa, settle down. Stop looking down your nose at the Gentiles, because guess what? We're all in the exact same boat. We're all in the exact same boat. These things that you hate the the Gentiles for, you hate the Greeks for, that you talk about the, the Romans about, guess what? You're practicing the exact same stuff. You're not that great. Right? He basically says, you know, it's it's not about adhering to this written code. Right? We pride ourselves in, 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 in holding to the, the law of Moses and, and all the other little laws that the scribes and the Pharisees had come up with over hundreds and hundreds of years. But as we see throughout the, the prophets, it's about a, a heart that is soft towards God. You're doing it wrong. Skip that one. So who needs grace? Gentiles need grace and Jews need grace. Everybody. And so... We're probably all Gentiles, I'm guessing. But guess what? Now, here in 2019, in the United States, in Michigan, in Vandalia, as believers, maybe not people in this church, but other churches I've heard about, can actually look down at other people. People who believe different, or think different, or act different. We can start to think that we are the spiritual elite, that we have everything under control, and that we are the proud and rightful recipients of the grace of God. Well, that's a very, very dangerous place to be. And so we need to ask ourselves, right, who is it that I am looking down on? Who is it that I am thinking that I'm better than them, that I have a real grasp of the gospel? You know, we could use some various examples. Let's see, what should we use? You could use politics if you really made a stretch, right? Like, could you, as a, as a Republican, look down on the Democrats as if, man, they have really missed it, and hopefully God will open their eyes. Or you could go the other way, right? As, as Democrats, like, oh, man, the, the Republicans, they don't understand social justice. They don't understand the, the heart of God at all, right? They're corrupt. I hope that God opens their eyes. 
But neither of us, whatever side of the aisle you stand on, have a leg to stand on. We are all broken. We're all desperately in need of a Savior and desperately in need of a Deliverer. Paul goes on. And he says that not only, yes, all Jews, all Gentiles need grace and lost people need grace, right? This is often where we focus. Lost people need grace. Man, we hope that God opens their eyes so that they can say the sinner's prayer and they can become a a Christian. They need that grace. And this is good. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Right? And so it is the gospel of, of grace that brings salvation. And so lost people super need the grace of God right? to, to open their eyes, to make that choice, to go, I will submit to, to Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Right? We see this all through the, the writings of Paul in, in Ephesians 2. I'll just touch on that for a second. I probably don't have to convince you that grace is needed by lost people. Ephesians 2, verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Right? It's the grace of God when we are shaking our fist in defiance against God. It is his grace that opens our eyes and draws us to him. But I think it's interesting that Paul is not sending the, this letter that is kind of communicating the, the gospel of grace to lost people. Paul's sending this letter to people that are saved. These are Christian believers in Rome. Right? And he says in Romans 5.2 that we open with that saved people need to continue standing in the grace of God. We need to continue standing in grace. So this is just an illustration that shows how we often think about grace. Right? So that top timeline is a person's birth to their death with salvation hopefully happening somewhere in the middle. And we want to proclaim the gospel of grace to the unbelievers so that they can find salvation. But then we often walk away from grace and try to finish our Christian walk by the works of the law, the works of the flesh. Guess what? Paul addresses this in Galatians 1.6. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And so he's talking to saved people who've gotten saved by the grace of God. They are in this new community of God followers, of, 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 of people who are following Jesus, the Messiah. And he's saying, you guys got in by grace and now you're abandoning it to things that aren't even the gospel. You know, what, you know how do we, you know, I mean, not, not us, but other people. How could other people abandon this gospel of grace? Well, Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 3.3, 3, 
Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, you're now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Paul's saying, you got in by grace. You think somehow you're going to keep in God's good graces. You're going to keep in the, the kingdom of God through your, your hard work and your efforts and being a good moral person, maybe praying a bunch and serving the poor and doing this thing and that thing. Well, guess what? That doesn't work. That is legalism. You cannot earn God's grace. You didn't earn God's grace to get in, and you're not going to earn God's grace to continue standing in the God-formed community. Right? And so how do we know if we're falling prey to this false gospel of, of legalism? Well, it's when you try to do something to earn the love of God. And we all do this, right? We all have a, a rough weekend, or we all yell at our spouse, or say something we wish we hadn't to our kids, or whatever. Oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have watched that movie. Whatever it is, and we're like, oh, man, church is tomorrow. I got, what, maybe if I got up early, maybe I'll pray a little bit extra. I'll read, uh, you know, I'll read you know, all through the book of Romans next week, and then I will be back into right standing with God. Yeah, it doesn't work. Right? The, the, the Jews that, that Paul confronts and Jesus confronts were really consumed with getting you know, the right stuff done to earn their way into God's good graces. And he's like, that doesn't work. Where's your heart? It's a, it's a motivation of the heart. Right. Not that any of that stuff is bad. As a pastor, I hope that you pray and, and read your Bible and serve and, and tithe and do all those things. That is really, really good, but it doesn't earn you anything. It just puts you into a position to receive downloads of God's grace. Right? You're not earning anything. You're just putting yourself under the fountain of God's grace. So don't fall into legalism. You need grace. Oops. Oh, I don't want to jump ahead. <laughs> so uh, an, an, another uh, problem that we can run into, this false gospel that we can stumble into, is what scholars like to call antinomianism, or this hyper-grace movement, this idea that we're in, and we can do whatever we want now, right? It's grace, and God loves us, and I said the prayer once, and now everything is good, right? And we are keeping kind of sin close by because we enjoy it. And the, and the reality is that we have a complete misunderstanding of what, what sin is. We think of sin as kind of this cute little cuddly thing that's kind of fun, but man, we probably shouldn't keep it around very much. But in actuality, sin is a grotesque monster that wants to kill us. Amber and I are watching this television show, believe it or not, uh, called The Passage. I don't know what channel it's on. But in The Passage, there. Somehow, I don't know how this happened, but some people are turning into like these vampires. And uh, I don't know how that happened. And, peop and the humans have decided to, to study these vampires to see how can, we, how can we use them, right? How can we get some benefit out of them? Maybe we could use them to cure some disease. Maybe we can weaponize them. I don't know. But the, the problem is that the vampires keep getting out. And when the vampires get out, they kill people, right? And so in a similar way, Mark, what does this have to do with anything? In a similar way, we find sin, which is a grotesque monster, and we put it in these little kind of safe cages. We don't want to get rid of it, but we're going to put it away because we just like it. 
We just like it. Maybe there's some benefit to it. You know, sin really makes Friday nights more fun, right? You know, and so we keep it in a cage. But the problem is the sin gets out of the cage. And it comes and it kills you. And so we cannot allow grace, or we can't allow grace. We cannot let sin hang out. Paul in Romans 6, when somebody says, oh, well, should we sin so that grace may abound? No! No way! You're dead to sin. When you sin, you're, 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 you're not sitting under a funnel of grace. You're actually a funnel of corruption and death into your life, into your family, into your community, and into your world. Is that what you want? No, we don't want that. That's junk. And the last thing, this last false gospel that we can sometimes buy into is what I would call the, the therapeutic gospel. Right, this gospel that when I need Jesus, I've said the prayer, and now when I need him, I can pull him off the shelf, you know, and, I can, and he can come and help me in my time of need, and then when things are getting better again, I'll put him back on the shelf and go about my life. Well, that doesn't work. Right? This, this therapeutic gospel is just like trying to manipulate God. When, when you might find that you are, you've fallen prey to this therapeutic gospel if the only time you come to church, the only time you open up your Bible, the only time you pray is when the stuff really hits the fan. Oh, now I super need Jesus. I need some, I need some peace. I need a fix of joy. I need a fix of hope. Okay, he got me through that. I'm going to go do my own thing. I had a friend who... Uh, Went to, uh, went to jail for, I don't know, it wasn't a year, it was, I don't know, a few months. And he, in jail, he met Jesus. And I was so excited. Like, yes, he found Jesus. This is the best thing that's ever happened to him. But about three months after he got out, he was gone. He didn't need Jesus anymore. He figured it all out. So if you only pray when you get that traumatic phone call, you might be believing a false gospel. Because the therapeutic gospel isn't about allegiance to a savior. Right? It's about just this kind of mental acceptance that, yeah, Jesus is the Lord, but I'm still the Lord of my life. Right? We're going to look at in a minute that Paul is very clear that the gospel of grace isn't about a mental assent. It's not about just accepting this proposition, but it is allegiance to a king. So we saw that this is often how we think about grace. But this is the reality of what we need. Right? We need to stand in grace from birth through salvation up to our death. We need to be grounded in and we need to stand on the grace. Not on our good works, not on our ideas, not on our theology, not on the things that we have done, but on the grace of God all the way through. And if we continue to, to think about it from the, from, you know, in Paul's mind, right, the, the grace of God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt, right? He gets them across the Red Sea. 
And that's often how we see the grace of God. We've gotten through the Red Sea. I've said the, the sinner's prayer or whatever, right? But the grace of God stays with the Israelites all the way through into the promised land, through the difficulty of the 40-year wanderings, while they were still messing up and being dumb, right? The grace of God sustained them to get them through to the promised land. Okay, so we've spent a long time on who needs grace. Guess what? Everybody needs grace. So, how do we get it? How do we apprehend this grace that we apparently all need so desperately? Well, Paul has an opinion. In, in, uh, da, 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 this is chapter 3, verse 21. Paul is going to show us that it is by faith. Right? We accept, we receive grace through faith. So let's read this together. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is a good word. This is a new chapter in, uh, well, it's not really a new chapter in the book of Romans. There are no chapters in the letter to Romans. This is a turning point. That's a better word. This is a turning point in the, the first section. It's been kind of doom and gloom up to this. People's hearts are darkened. The, the Gentiles are godless and wicked. Oh, no, even the, the good Jewish believers, they're also messed up. Oh, there's no hope for us. But now in verse 21 of chapter 3, you can highlight it. You can underline it. It's like a new day is dawning. Right now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And it's in spite of how messed up you are. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, right? He's summing up all that he said in the, in the previous chapters. And then he finishes, he says, you're all justified freely. How? By his grace. You're all justified, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how I remember it. Just as if I'd never sinned. We are made right by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Right? And, and if, we, if we only understand the, the New Testament, we don't understand the, the richness and the significance of this idea of sacrifice of, uh, of atonement, right? But this means that, that Jesus fulfilled what was necessary in the Old Testament law and the prophets, this demand for, for justice, this demand that blood be spilled for there to be forgiveness of sins, right? And so we see this temple system set up that they would yearly sacrifice bulls and goats and sheep in order to deal with the sin of their people. But now, according to Paul, a new day has come in the perfect sacrifice of atonement once for all has happened. And we can now step into this freedom story because of Jesus Christ. I'm getting excited. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. <laughs> Silly. Silly me. Right, so this is this turning point. This righteousness is revealed, right? We are all the same, Jews and Gentile, right? This death, this sacrificial offering makes a way for every 
person, everybody on the planet Earth, it pays the penalty for our sin. And so Paul is saying that Jesus is the new Messiah. Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the new deliverer. He is the one that brings us into and through our own freedom story. Because we all need deliverance. We all need freedom. Not just before we met Jesus, but just the same now. We need to stand in the grace of God. Where do you need deliverance? Where do you need a deliverer to come in and and set you free and bring you through the the shackles that bind you? Do you need deliverance from anger or jealousy or comparison? Deliverance from worry or fear or doubt? Deliverance from drugs or sex? Hopelessness? Lethargy? Sickness? Whatever it is. Whatever you need to be delivered from, Jesus is the deliverer. He is the author and the finisher of our freedom story. When we step into this story, we step into this grace of God through faith. And faith, used here in Romans 3, do I have it still up here? Do, 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 probably, yeah, received by faith, there it is. Pistis is the Greek word. And it's often commonly translated as faith, or it's trans, translated as belief. And both of those can kind of carry this idea of this mental acceptance, right? Oh, that Jesus is Lord, yep, oh, right. Trump is the president, yep, okay, whatever, da, da, da. This, that's, it's that kind of faith or belief. But the, the word that Paul uses, pistis, carries with it not just faith or belief, but it is allegiance. It is loyalty to this man. Faith, faith in Christ is allegiance to Christ. Faith in Christ is allegiance to Christ. We cannot have our feet in two worlds at the same time. We try that, and it doesn't work. To put our faith in Jesus is to make a declaration of loyalty to Jesus. Imagine in, in, in a war if this soldier gets up one morning and is like, today I am going to ally myself with this army. And then he wakes up the next day and says, no, today this team's winning. I'm going to ally, ally myself with this team over here. Oh, that didn't work out so well. I'm just going to ally with myself today. You know, like we would look at that and that, that's cowardly. That is despicable, right? That's not, that is not what we are looking for, right? We are looking for someone who has allegiance, who is loyal to that which he believes. And in Rome, the demand was allegiance to Caesar. It was, it was, at this time, the, the worship of Caesar, of, of the, the Roman pantheon, who, and specifically the, 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 the Caesar cult, or the worship of Caesar, was a big deal. Everybody's allegiance was to Caesar. And so this is an incredibly political message. He's saying, stop putting your allegiance in Rome. Stop putting your allegiance in Caesar and put your allegiance in the new deliverer, Jesus Christ. 
the Son of God, proven to be the, 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 the descendant of David and the rightful person to sit on the throne of David over the world, proven by his resurrection. That's who you should put your allegiance in. It's too easy, right, for us to, to only pay lip service to Jesus and find, by looking at our life, that we've actually put our allegiance in something else. Okay, we've, we've driven that nail in. Okay, so we saw who, who needs grace, everybody needs grace. Jews, Gentiles, saved people, and lost people need grace. We saw, how do we get grace? It is faith through allegiance to Christ. So what is it that grace do, does? What is the effect of grace? Well, according to Paul, he says that grace brings us peace with God. Grace brings us justification, just as if I'd never sinned. Uh, grace brings us righteousness, salvation, reconciliation, and empowerment to endure, to stand, to keep on keeping on. After we've done everything we can think of, we stand in the grace of God. See, when we think about it like this, we realize that grace isn't just about our salvation. It's about everything. We need the grace of God. Because we don't want to be Christians that are just focusing on sin management. Like, that's no way to live. I'm going to kill that sin. I'm going to kill that sin. I'm going to kill that sin and just keep coming back and going through the, the motions until Jesus comes back. Because the, the reality is that we are corrupt to our core. Oh, that's a downer. Ugh. Right? And, but in that place, in that fallenness, in that corruption, Jesus came. The, the grace gift of, of Jesus came to set us free and to make us brand new. We are a new creation in Jesus. And as we go through our saved lives, we still are in need of holding on to and standing in the grace of God until Jesus comes back and we are fully restored in the new heavens and the new earth. Right? Grace is from beginning to end. Grace is a freedom story. And really, as we read the book of Romans, uh, we see that all of Romans is a freedom story. It shows us that we are all lost, that we are all in desperate need of a Savior. It shows us that our works and our efforts can never get us out of slavery. It can never get us into that freedom that we crave, that freedom that we are longing for, that freedom that we try to get through all this other stuff that never ultimately fulfills us. The, the book of Romans, it shows us that even in our weakness and in our brokenness, God did what was impossible for us. He offers the, the grace gift of Jesus Christ, who can deliver us from our slavery into freedom as we give him our allegiance, as we put our loyalty into the resurrected Messiah. And in him we stand as we receive all the benefits, and we grow in all the benefits that grace brings. All right, so if you're here and you are a Jew or a Gentile or you are lost or you're saved, I would invite you to stand up.
because we are all in need of more grace. Okay? And I'm just going to pray for us as we close. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus, our great deliverer, the, the, the grace gift in which we now stand. And Lord, I pray for everyone here, Lord, that they would continue to stand in your grace, that they would be empowered, that they would know your love, that they would know that you have chosen them, that you have called them, that you love them just as they are, but you love them too much to leave them there. And it is by your grace that you will continue to deliver us and to transform us more and more into your image. So God, let your grace do its work in each one of us and in this church and in this community. And we give you all the glory and all the honor. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, on my right we have a prayer team. They would love to pray for you for any reason whatsoever. And on my left we have the Rama team. They are highly trained to hear God's voice and speak words of encouragement and love to you. Uh, so that's a very powerful uh, ministries you could take advantage of that uh, that you are dismissed there is coffee and donuts in the family room have a phenomenal grace-filled sunday